Good evening. Like Kirk said, we've got a particularly interesting passage uh, tonight. John chapter 5. So if you've got your Bible, turn to John chapter 5. Um, and we're going to just be continuing this awesome, uh, awesome journey through the book of John. And this evening we're going to be looking at um, a, a passage, and in the NASB it's titled The Healing at Bethesda, um, but there's a whole heap more going on in, in this passage than just the healing, um, which we're about to dive right into. So I'll just read, I'll just read this to us, and then we'll, we'll get into it. It says this, After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep, sheep gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda having five porticos. And these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the movement of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been a long time in that condition. He said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, It is the Sabbath, and it's not permissible for you to carry a pallet. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your pallet and walk. They answered him, Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Therefore Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless, he sees, uh, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For what Whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, and the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes." For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given over all judgment to the Son, so that all will honour the Son, even as they honour the Father. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death 
and into life. Awesome passage, hey? Awesome passage. And, and we see here this scene where Jesus turns up at this pool called Bethesda. And there's a man there. There's, there's this one man, but there's a whole multitude of people. It's a, it's a pretty sorry sight, to be honest. Not only is there this one guy ill, it's almost like this entire congregation, this entire gathering of people who have been sick or tormented or ill, we know that this one guy has been sick, it says, 38 years. We don't know how old this guy is, but it's a pretty solid length of time, eh? 38 years in the same condition. And, and so we see Jesus turn up on the scene and, and he spots this one particular man and he says these interesting words to him. Do you want to be well? Interesting, eh, that he, that he even goes and asks the guy whether he wants to be well. Wouldn't it just be taken for granted that someone that's been sick for 38 years, it's almost like, well, of course I would be, but Jesus doesn't necessarily just assume that the guy wants to be well. So he asks the question, do you want to be well? And you hear the man's response. He doesn't say, yes, I do. He says to him this, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water's stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Interesting, eh? It's almost like the question and the answer are in two entirely different worlds, eh? Do you want to be well? I've been trying to get into the pool for all of this time. <laughs> and so Jesus doesn't even meet him on that level, eh? He says, do you want to be well? Well, if you do, actually, it's not about your ability to get into a pool, it's about your ability to perceive in this moment who I am and what I've come here to do, that through your faith, through your ability to see who I am and what I've been sent for, actually you can enter into something that you actually have not seen, that hasn't even entered into your mind. See, you think that life is found in entering into a pool, but I am life. And that if you were just to come to know me, you wouldn't need a pool. You'd actually receive in you healing that isn't just from physical water. You'd receive the very life source, me in you, which would actually set you free. So right now you're on a knife edge. Do you want to be well, my friend? And so he says to him, and there's an action. I thought it wasn't about doing. It was about being. But actually being and doing are intimately linked, day, eh? Because he says, if you want to be well now, pick up your pallet and walk. There's an action required for you. There's a, there's a step required. There's a response required in being well. Because I'm not going to just take for granted that you want to be well. I need to see in you that there's something in you that responds to who I am. And if there's a response, then actually the healing's going to follow. And not just a physical healing, but an entire healing, eh? And there was 10 lepers in Jesus' day, and Jesus healed all 10 lepers. You see, in this scene, he heals, he's after one. In the other scene, actually, he healed every one of those 10 lepers, but nine of them went away and never came back. It said that one of them was made well. Interesting, eh? All 10 healed, but one was made well. And so Jesus has a, something that is so much more than just a healing in store for this man. And the Pharisees know it and see it and are actually confronted by not just a physical healing, but something much greater that he demonstrated through the healing that we're to see and, and grapple with. So we're going to dive deep into this passage tonight. Once again, I just want to invite you to be part of the conversation. You see that we're, we're not really in a living room. We're kind of in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> 
And so uh, come, come and just be part of um, what the Holy Spirit's going to bring to light. Is that cool? All right. So the first question that I have for um, our awesome panel, it's definitely not the B team. If anything, it's the A-plus team tonight. <laughs> the A-plus team. <laughs> All two and a half of us, yeah. You know, we're growing. You know, our shoes are size 12 at the moment. <laughs> but we're going to grow into it tonight. So uh, first question that I have for our, our awesome A-plus panel tonight is, why did Jesus why did Jesus zero in on this one particular man? Why did he not go and just heal everyone? Was it what is his greatest mission, not just a, a physical healing? Why did Jesus heal the one man and not everyone that was laying around the pool uh, blind, lame, sick? Paul, I don't know if you wanna you wanna kick us off? Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> um I mean there's no the, the easy off-pad answer as well, but that's what God told him to do. And I guess another question, well, how does he know that? And there's that, that level of intimacy that's sitting there. And you know, Because I've, I've, I've been thinking over this ever since you sent out the, the questions and thinking, well, why was it, Lord? And I said, there's probably a multitude of reasons and things that are sitting in, in here with this. And you know, one of the things that, that I, I need to show, look, there's no script. Right, here's the book of how-tos when you get to the pool. And this is what will happen, you know, it's, it, which is what everyone else had was the script. And this is what you did. And, you know, there's something, there was, when you look into it, probably a little bit, um, the history and stuff, there's something actually a bit deeper that's going on around that, that well. And, uh, and I think, you know, Jesus was making a clear statement as he was walking through there. But he was on a mission. His father's will, and he's just going to do what he tells and what he sees him to do. And I think there's something else that he's he's also doing. You know, he said earlier on to the disciples, "You follow me. I'll make you fisher of men." And there's no script for this. You're going to follow me because I'm being led by the Spirit, and the Spirit is addressing an issue for this one guy. But what about them? The Spirit is addressing an issue for this one guy. But what about them? The Spirit's addressing an issue for this one guy. That's awesome, man. And you just think, like, if Jesus is, if Jesus's entire ministry was just about physical healing, he's actually got a pretty horrible ministry. You know what I mean? It's like think about the ends of what he accomplished at the end of his life. There were, a few, there were obviously in quite a number of significant healings, but even those closest to him were walking away from him. The earth across the board was actually not really that much better physically than when, he, than when he left, right? You know, it's like if that was his primary purpose, he actually hasn't really done that good of a job, eh, you know? But it, maybe that wasn't his primary purpose, you know? Maybe there was something more than a healing and that through the healing, there was something demonstrated about who he was that we need to grapple with, eh, you know? What, any, any thoughts, any thoughts, Greg? Uh. Not really. I just, I just think you know that um, it's about righteous works, isn't it? It's not about any work, and so it's a, it's a righteous work by faith that the Father rewards that glorifies His name. So um, Christ was only interested in doing His Father's works, which are righteous works, empowered by the Spirit, and so that's his, his, that's our example. 
you know. So in this, he's modeling to us the example of his father and himself and the spirit, which means we must be in one alignment to all that. Otherwise, we're outside of doing any works, which, as we know, at a judgment seat, get burnt up. And so he's, you know, it's amazing that he's healing people, but ultimately, as you say, it's greater than that because, you know, the reality is we're all going to die. So he heals you one day, but you're going to be dead in a year. So there has to be more than just healing because as awesome as it is, the physical life ends. And so, you know, I think that's another aspect. But ultimately, I think that righteous work is critical. Yeah. And I think interesting, eh, because the the application from this is not to go away and think, okay, then healing actually either isn't for today or it's actually not something that I'm supposed to be involved in, you know, and throw the baby out with the bathwater. What we need to find is the, is the narrow road, eh, to see actually healing is something that God has given that does glorify him when it's led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' healings and miracles do do that, you know. And so to say, oh, cool, I'm gonna, just going to sit back and actually I'm not, I'm not going to pray for healing because it's not about healing, it's about the heart, that's... That's actually not what he's saying at all. The, you know, we're not to check out of actually something that he's given. Maybe the Holy Spirit is actually inviting you to pray for someone or to grow in this particular area. I mean, we're to grow up into to all aspects, into fullness of maturity that actually look like moving in, in the gifts of the Spirit, you know. And so it's both of those things. Eh? It's just don't take that and make it the primary purpose that Jesus came for eh? and to find actually this is something that's been God-given but actually it's been God-given for a particular purpose, which is more than just the physical way. You know? so. We've got the challenge, I think it's John 14, 12, isn't it, of you'll do greater things than what he did. Mm. So it's very clear that, that miracles uh, are an evidence of God and God's supernatural power, and they lead you to God for the purpose, though, of complete transformation mm. in God for this life and the age to come. And so it's absolutely part of the entire picture. It's just not first. And I guess that's what we're saying, is it? But out of this relationship, out of this fellowship, you will lay hands on people, believe, cast out demons, prophesy. It just all has to be in absolute alignment to the Spirit. Um, And I think the scary thing is you can do all that not in alignment to the Spirit. Uh, And it's amazing, eh? because when you think about... I mean, we, well, assuming we've read the book, you know, we, we can read through and you can see some of the things that have actually taken place or, or take place. And here you have, imagine being, I mean, put yourselves into the story. Imagine being there and you're thinking, well, and even for Jesus, well, I can heal everybody. In fact, I can say, everybody pick up your mat. But he doesn't. And then for the disciples following him with him, saying, wow. Well, you can heal that guy. Well, what about these guys? You know, come on, let's get on with the game here. And then we know when he sends them out in the twelve and the seventy-two, and they come back going, "Whoa, even the demons are bashed!" Yeah, and he's going, "Yeah, but don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life." So your focus is a bit around the wrong way. And here he's demonstrating someone who is actual uh, perfect unity with the Father, just doing. I, there's power. There's power there to heal everybody, but I'm under authority, and I'm I'm doing just what my father wills me to do, and I'm not going to get sidetracked by f- 
fame and glory, however you want to shape that up. Even to the fact, you know, we read later on that the apostles just walked out and shadows passing over people. But if I haven't learnt the first place posture of my intimacy with the Lord and, and as, a, as a bond servant to love, I'm functioning out of the one who's proven his love for me. So my love, my, my walk is now in devotion, love back. I might get tied up in doing this. I'll have the shadow casting ministry and the hanky ministry and I'll build it on something that's completely off, that's right. off skew. How's that? Oh, as, as good as things, these things are, you know, because there's no doubt that for someone that's been sick for 38 years, this is incredible, right? You know, it's just that, you know, for Jesus to sell himself short to just having a healing ministry is subpar to what it was that he was called to do. Eh? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my disciples would actually be fighting and scrapping right now to be able to, you know, Take by you know it's it's actually that like my kingdom is not about anything natural as a first place priority. Eh? You know he's come to establish a spiritual invisible kingdom first in the hearts of minds of his followers, and then as a result of that, there's going to be a physical expression here on this earth where he actually comes and sets up his government and reigns over the earth for a thousand years it says that and then after that and moving into eternity every eye is going to be wiped of every tear so there is a physical application eh? you know it's just that it's built the kingdom firstly is is a spiritual kingdom that manifests in a physical way hey you know and i, I love his question to him too as you're reading one of the other translations he's saying you know do you want to be made whole not just do you want your legs to function you know, and it says, I think of the of the lepers. You know, the one that comes back, he was made whole. You know, so it's something far beyond. I mean, anybody would go, "Woo, my legs, <laughs> come on," you know. But this is this eternal reality. There's something that's far greater that is happening. Actually, I want to make you whole. You see that actually because he addresses it a bit later on, an issue that's actually sitting in here, not there. I think it's also how easy it is to confuse the eternal with earth. And we can do that ourselves, you know, like, and just like the woman at the well, you know, he instantly goes to his reference point for healing. Um, and we can do that too. You know, Jesus says something and you instantly go to the reference point you have, but he's not talking about what you have a reference point for. You know, and that's like the woman at the well. You know, he talks about water, she goes, Where's your bucket? He talks healing, he says, I had no one to put me into the water. You know, and I think this is where we have to be so careful because, you know, earth has no reference for the eternal. The eternal has to give earth its reference point. So there's a connection. Otherwise, you are going that way and you should be going that way. All right. Brings us to our second question. I feel like this is a particularly good one, if I say so myself. (laughs) Why did Jesus ask the man if he wanted to be well? Is it not obvious that he'd want to be well after having been sick for 38 years? Why did Jesus ask the man if he wanted to be well? (laughs) 38 years of living the way I'm living. 38 years of knowing my form of Christianity. 38 years of being stuck in a rut. 38 years 
of hard slog of what I know. Do you want to change tracks? Oh. That's, it might actually be a hard question. It's good, mate. <laughs> yeah, and it is a eh? you know because he's not just confronting his physical situation. You know, it, like to me, it's it's speaking of something. Hey, you know, to say that you know, thirty-eight years doing something in a particular way, looking for life in a particular operating system, in a particular way of doing things. And Jesus steps on the scene eh, and says, hey, today's, today's a new day. You know, like the disciples, we've been out fishing all night, you know. And he says to them, okay, cast your net on the other side, you know. And that is, it's, it's th- that, you know, to be able to go from one way of, of living and being and operating your entire life to actually hearing a, a word that is different, you know, like you're saying, Greg, you know, it's, it's not natural, it's not earthly, it, it, it's, it's receiving something that you've never heard of, thought of, comprehended before, you know, that, that he's in speaking and inviting this man into, you know, and so it's, it's a massive question, eh, you know. And I think, you know, it, it's an ongoing thing, isn't it, that he, he, you see words like thirsty, hungry, you know. So God uses these words to try and paint a picture of how hungry and thirsty are we for the things of him. Um, what are you prepared to do? Um, you know, how far will you go? Um, I mean, I think about this guy, he's 38 years, and, you know, I know it's always a bit different, but when you watch it on... Um, the chosen, and you see him there, you know, and you go, man, that's a long time. How, how desperate are you really? Because at each thing, you would think you're going to get closer to the water, you know, so you've had 38 attempts to get closer to the water, the pool, and yet in the chosen, he's in the same spot the entire time. And, and I think Jesus asked this question, like, how desperate do you want it? You know, um, will you and are you prepared to do whatever it takes to receive it? You know, will you be found waiting with a holy waiting? You know, go up to the upper room. Well, they don't know how many days. It says in days to come, there's a power. But they don't know if days is going to be months or years. You know, they can surmise and think, oh, yeah, you know, and obviously there's probably no Pentecost is coming. But, you know, this reality where God says, will you be found at a particular time, in a particular place, waiting, and will you be there, even if I'm not? And I want to see if you're going to be there before I turn up, you know? And so this inner thirst, desperation, desire that he's looking for, um, that he responds to, as opposed to it being very casual, oh, yeah, I'm hungry for the things of God, but I'm never found where I need to be found, for the things of God, but I'm always hungry for the things of God. It's always on my time scale or my time clock or whatever. Then I'll be hungry. So, I think there's a bit of that going on here as well. You know, he's, as we're saying, it's God responds to the heart. The whole thing's a heart issue. Um, how hungry and thirsty is this heart to enter into something that I have? Um, yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, um, 
a, a few years ago, I saw a guy that was blind just walking along the road, and I just felt led by the Holy Spirit to go up and and start a conversation. And I had on my mind that I would just pray for healing for him, you know. And um, you know, started having a good chat with this guy, and you know, nice guy. And I said, "Hey, I'm just wondering if you'd be happy for me to." pray for you that God would open your open your eyes and he said he said actually he said actually no thank you he said um he said you know I've um I I haven't been able to see for quite a number of years and I've actually entirely set up my life now around being blind and he says I'm I'm actually I've got to the stage where I'm perfectly comfortable being blind and I don't want to have to relearn how to live now not being blind because I've just my whole life has revolved around it now, and I I was just like, wow, you know, like I felt like the invitation of the Holy Spirit was for me to just hear that from Him, you know. It's like, what is that a picture of? Eh? It's like I my my physical brokenness now I've revolved my life around it, and I'm actually more comfortable being blind than I would be being able to see, and I don't actually want to be made well because of the the inconvenience now to my life, you know? And and what is, man, I was like, in that moment, I was like, man, that is not just about this guy's physical blindness. Hey, it's such a picture and a typology. And when, when Jesus says here, hey, do you want to be well? It's like this guy didn't want to be well because he's comfortable as he is, you know? And so what does that look like in our spiritual lives hey people can find comfort in their brokenness and you can find other people that are broken that will actually encourage you in being broken not i'm not talking physically i'm talking spiritually you know it's actually called a lot of the time it's called gossip you know is that actually you're bitter and you go and you find someone else that's bitter and you find comfort in each other's bitterness and you think it's fellowship. You know, it is fellowship, it's just not fellowship of the spirit, you know. It's fellowship of the flesh, you know. And so what is that thing in us that actually finds comfort in our, our, our it's filthy, eh, you know. And yet we're called to something that's so much greater than that, you know. And so we, we shouldn't, we can't, if we want to enter into the fullness of life, find our identity and actually our lack and our brokenness. Because you'll find other people that will that you'll be able to to find comfort with, hey, you know. So any any thoughts or questions? Contributions? Um, I love it that you guys are talking about more than just the physical issue of this guy because when I read this, I, I look at it and I go, I don't explicitly read that the guy was physically sick. It, and, and he might have been, but for me, the physical sickness, if he was that, was more of a reflection of what was going on internally. So I, when I read it and I see that Christ is confronting this internal reality, I'm like, there's a, there's a real issue there that he saw and identified and challenged him on because the guy like you said he's not even answering him according to what it is that he's asked it's almost like his problem is a is a mental one where he goes oh but you know my actual problem is is that i'm excusing everything and never taking ownership of it and christ's like well if you've if you actually want this thing then stand up and you know i have had an experience as well where i um uh, someone told me about a friend of theirs that had these horrible circumstances around their life where they 
they, um, their wife was like had chronic fatigue, and there was all these things going on, and the 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 external circumstances of this this life was broken, and I was like, oh well, I'm, you know, I'm going to go over and see these guys and see if I can help them physically and maybe spiritually as well, and you know, very much did the same thing, and came to the house and met the guy and couldn't meet his wife. She was bedridden, and you know, I just was asking some questions, trying to get some information, and like you, Sam, I felt like God was in it, and I was was just talking to him about where he was at and, you know, brought Christ into the equation. And he just was so full that he had no capacity for anything else. And I was on the outside going, man, your life is, is broken, but you're not internally broken at all. You're so full. You've got all the answers. And I couldn't, couldn't even throw a hook for him to go, what is this thing that you might be talking about? He was just like, actually, no. And I was like, and I just walked away going, I, I didn't even get to the point where I felt led to even pray or anything because I was like, how do you fill a cup that's already full? He's so full. You know, and it was the same scenario, you know, in a broken place. But like you said, never once moved forward. Never, you know, it was always, oh, I've got no one to do this very thing for me. And so I just love it that you guys are hitting on that because I feel like there's so much more in this than just the one sick guy got made well and off he went. Just shows you, eh, that the the level of discernment that's required as a follower to truly discern where someone's really at. So you don't spend a whole lot of time, energy, and effort in something that's never going to come to fruition because you're banging on a door thinking it's going to open, but out of good intention rather being led by the Spirit, yeah. and also knowing God's timing on everything. You know, because it's like with self still in the way, it just can't get past itself, can it? You know, it's just doesn't matter how great the offer is, self just can't get past itself. It just doesn't have the capacity to consider anything other than itself, uh, no matter how amazing the offer is. And, and that just shows you, doesn't it, this... You know, I remember when God showed me why he was the only one that could build the church, you know, and the entanglement of man's heart... You know, and you think, oh, yeah, we can build the church, we can build the church. And it sounds so good, doesn't it? But it's just a whole lot of hot air. Because when you actually God shows you the heart of man, how entangled some people's hearts are in hurt and offense, and they've been wounded, and all the things that some things are not of their decision making. You know, it's someone else has affected them. And some decisions or consequences are our decision making, you know, but you see everything wrapped around someone's heart. And you go, I can't disentangle that. <laughs> no, that's why only I am the one of the builder because my spirit carefully starts to, in my timing, you know, just open this up so that I can come and heal the brokenhearted and then start a journey. And this is where, you know, this whole thing within the church of our role is to go save a lost world can just bring so much condemnation and weight and heaviness, you know, because it actually sets you up for failure because all you're interested in doing is getting someone across the line and you're trying to enforce something that's not being forced. You're trying to lead someone where they don't necessarily want to go and there's no agreement with the Spirit, but you're after your ticket, you know, so you can somehow pat yourself on the back and you've done the person an injustice, you've done God an injustice and you haven't represented him well at all. You know, and I think this whole dimension of realizing, man, my own heart is intricate. 
how on earth can I understand someone else's and try and untangle, you know? Well, you can't. And so just get on board with loving me. Love the person, you know, with a gentleness and a kindness and a patience and pray and believe all things. And sure, if I open the door, step through the door, but actually relinquish that to me. And um, it just works when we do it that way. I think it's beautiful too. The, the, to me, anyway, I see a, like a, a picture being painted for us to uh, how we walk this out. And it's in discipleship. So he's, he's walking with his disciples, discipling them, healing this man. You know, or not healing the others, whichever way you want to look at it. He's still discipling them in this. And I think of a, of a situation years ago I was up in Tower and was working and the, and the lady, the man, the woman were there, the lady had cancer, she was, she, it was terminal. And I'm fitting the gas heaters thinking, I'm fitting a gas heater for this, surely there's something far more important. You know, this, you know maybe I should get up there and you know, should have bought a Honda, got a Kawasaki and boom, she's healed and you know. And it's like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know what to do, Lord. And so what I know I was lacking, I know now, what I was lacking was the discipling, the true discipling, you know, the Holy Spirit is to, son, this is what you need to do. Do this. Because I've seen it modelled, and it's something that we can be really grateful here. You know, the Lord is opening the eyes of our heart that we might truly see what being discipled in him actually is about. And so it's not actually about praying for that woman that she'd be healed of cancer. It was actually about loving her and him. And I asked, you know, could I, could I pray for you? Man, that was a step of faith. Someone's dying of cancer and you're going to pray for them? I hope you come through, Lord. No, I don't know what happened. Yeah, I was there. I, I did pray for them. The outcome's in God, not in me. I can't make it happen. And that's the issue, isn't it? Is, mm. is that the outcome is his. Yeah. And yet... We're born outcome-driven, focused. And so we're born to set goals, set the agenda, set your KPIs, Mm. go after the outcome, measure the outcome, Mm. celebrate the outcome. And so that whole operating system of the flesh, the root system of function, messes up the reality of what we can come into. And that has to be separated, killed, cease to exist yeah. and then you start living from the fellowship aspect and the function flows from the oneness and so you know out of fellowship by faith every work is now accomplished yeah. because of your fellowship so your oneness with God God opens up the invisible realm you see by faith the work he has you to yeah. do out of this comes the fruit and out of that comes your function, your righteous act. Yeah. But until we're apprehended from the root system we're born in, which is outcome driven, yeah. you know, we're constantly going to be carrying boulders of weight we can't carry. Um, we're going to try to enforce God on people and ultimately we're in fear because we haven't been set free from the freedom of the responsibility of what we think is ours, which is his. And so we end up being God. And we end up trying to control people. You know, we say we put laws in place that God doesn't put in place. In and out of the church, you know, we say you can't drink alcohol. Well, who said that? Uh, We did. Why? Because you've seen the effects of alcohol. But that doesn't mean you put a law in place because you see the effects of alcohol. Because then you've got to pour a law in place for every single thing. 
and God setting us free from the law. But this is what we do, and we start playing God, thinking it's wisdom. And what we're doing is binding people up, you know. And yes, it's scary. Freedom is scary. Absolutely, it's scary. But actually, that's the way of heaven, you know. But it's all based on this outcome in a realm that we still have that we're born in. Um, and the sad thing is it's painted up as wisdom, and it's demonic. And surely you see it here. Clearly, it can't have just been about outcome-driven because he's only focusing on one. And so there's f- true fellowship that's leading his, his steps all along the way. You know? And the others, the disciples, are getting to see this. And, and what is this? Now, they, they really can't come into this until the Holy Spirit is in them, but they're watching something that's new. This is a new and living way. It's completely different. And that functional drive is so dangerous, eh? Because as soon as you start getting to do works, the works then become an expression of your own brokenness. And the very people that you're trying to trying to to serve or to you know to to do miracles for, you know, all of a sudden if 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 this thing in you isn't broken uh, isn't broken, is isn't um, made whole your works then and the people that you are ministering to because you're outcome driven the outcome is then a reflection on you and all of a sudden you're trying to do works to soothe your guilty conscience as opposed to works that flow from a genuine place of of love for that person you know and and to me it's like that's the to be able to be free from the outcome, to be actually able to be to people who we need to be and to be able to love because love is in us without needing something from the other person for our own sake. To me, it's like that's the, that's the gospel right there, right? It's like actually number one is here. Number two is there, you know? Love being formed in here so that when we go, we're actually able to love not because we need, you know? It's like... Um, Which is ultimately a lordship issue, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, because he challenges you that in that way, that are you relinquishing? He did with me. Like, he came and he challenged me and said, are you going to give the people time to get to know me? But I want to go reach a lost world. Are you going to give the people time to come to know me? Because they don't know me. But I want to take these people and reach a lost world. Greg, are you going to give the people time to come to know me because they don't know me? Well, (laughs) it's the most beautiful thing, eh, when the Holy Spirit starts to teach you like this. And you start hearing yourself going, well, I, I know you go reach a lost world, you know me. But I'm telling you as a mess, a lot of people don't know me. And so will you relinquish the leadership gift on you? And will you relinquish back to me this desire that you have for a world to know me? Because I want them to know me, but it's no point seeing the people that don't know me to a people who don't know me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that makes sense. <laughs> like you're trying to take a people that don't really know me to a people that don't know me. How, how logical in God is that, Greg? Uh, well, I don't really care because I want to do what I want to do. Now, I'm infected with God because it's not out of Greg. It's out of love. I want everyone to know about the love that I've received. But in the leading of that, I'm back to front. And so he has to show you. I had to relinquish the function. 
over. But you know what I got? Rest. Like I was flooded with the rest in my soul, my spirit. Like what a deal. Because I'm trying to do this thing. And I was doing it from power, but I wasn't seeing much fruit. And so this beautiful exchange is you give me that, I'll give you rest, I'll redefine that, and you'll get it all. What a deal, man. But you'll do it my way, so you'll actually speak, live from rest, and you'll start seeing me build my church the way I do it, and then you get it all. Now, the thing is, it takes a lot longer than what you want it to. So then you've got to relinquish the time factor. Because God doesn't have a watch. But Greg does. And Greg's going, well, how long? And he said, well, what if you never got to see it in your lifetime? And then he starts asking you questions of your inner realm again. So why is this such an issue for you? Is it mine or yours? Like, truly, son, is this about me or you? And so you've got to go right to this place for you to be completely free. And then when that transition happens, it's like what you thought was going to be horrible, what you thought you were going to lose, you gain. It is no loss. It's all gain. And you're like, wow, it's a win-win-win. And you know what's fascinating about this passage is the controversy that came out of it was the Pharisees having an issue that Jesus was doing this on the Sabbath, you know? They've got an issue that he's actually not fulfilling his restful obligations by operating in this way, you know? Is that crazy? You know, it's like here Jesus is demonstrating what it means to live from rest right in front of them, and their perception is, hey, why aren't you keeping the Sabbath? Why aren't you fulfilling externally the... And yet he's a rest himself is standing right in front of them, you know? Isn't that crazy, you know? When you look at it, it's bizarre. You know, because, and it's not just the Pharisees, it says it's the Jews. So you think about, you know, all the, the Pharisees and the Jews. So if we put ourselves in that position, it's like, hey, Crippled person for 38 years. What right have you got to be healed? Get back being crippled again. It's the Sabbath. Wait until a proper day to be healed, you know? Well, I mean, play it out, because that's what they're upset about. By the way, we'll pop out the back, we can save a sheep in a ditch. You get back in your sickbed, and you stop healing people. You know, it's like, what? Come on. Now, who was not affected by that? The Sabbath rest himself was not affected by that. I am the Sabbath rest. Why are you stressed? I'm not stressed. By the way, he ain't stressed either. He's up walking. <laughs> and they're trying to put their lack of rest back onto him, eh? It's like, come on, mate. You're too at rest. You need a Sabbath, you know? And, and uh, <laughs> it's like, you're too, you're, you're too free. You're too free. <laughs> you need a sabbatical, you know? And, it is, and, and, and the perception of, hey, you're actually, you're actually too free. You're actually, you know, you're too at rest. Come back under the law, you know? And, and there's that dynamic that when, when you see someone that's at rest, truly at rest, you know, I could say to Greg, what do you do all day, you know? It's like, 
But it is that 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 is the the reaction of the flesh to what genuine, true spiritual life looks like. Because why aren't you driving the people? How how many people have you got saved in your church, Greg? You know what I mean? It's like that. That's the that's a religious mentality which comes actually to take someone who's living in life and bring them back into this old operating system, eh? You know, and 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 so we. This is not just about uh, someone who holds a position of leadership, and this is all of us, eh? You know, is that it's th- that this confrontation right here is actually not just about this man, and it's not just about the Pharisees. It's actually about us, eh? You know, and that are we able to be confronted in the same way that you know when we see this taking place? Actually, maybe are we are we okay? to be able to see someone that's at rest and see that that rest is for us as opposed to trying to bring someone back down to our level. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, that, that's right. That's it's, right. Uh, you know, and I, and I, I see Jesus too establishing who he is despite what's happening around him. He's not going to be moved by them. He's even back, oh, oh, sorry guys, yeah, look, I'll, I'll refrain from healing people on Saturday. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the other day. Sorry, guys, I didn't mean to upset the apple cart. They said, oh, okay, never mind. You don't realise, you don't see yet. And it's, it's, it's the, what really got me, it's the, it writes, it's the Jews, it's the people who had all bought into this. So they were affected with this. It can't possibly be, you know. And you know, not enough for them to get up and walk. Pick up your pallet. That'll really get up their noses because now you're double working <laughs> you're, you're healed and now you're carrying something but I'm not going to let, let you define who I am I know who I am and I can walk in that and tell you what I am the Sabbath rest and you will be healed I am making a declaration as to because when you read on as to what really got up their noses that he's now declaring that he's one with the Father and I can demonstrate that that's the case one because the by the works, the guy's healed. But two, by demonstration, I know whose I am, and I can walk in that. And that was for us. That was for the disciples to see and go, man, what is this? Because that was confronting their reality as well. You know, hmm, does he know he's doing it on the Sabbath? You know? And that's the thing, isn't it? Because they got the hump. Because, the, you know, he's saying he's God because he's not walking out of step with God. So, you know, all of last weekend, becoming one. So Jesus walked in the manner in which his father walked because him and the father were one. So he can't do anything of himself because he's one with the father. And the father never contradicts himself and doesn't walk outside of himself. And so you're seeing this father and son work together in the purity of oneness. And that's why they hated him because he's making himself out now to be God. You know, so they're getting the hump about the Sabbath, they're getting the hump about the pallet, but the greater hump is actually now you're telling me you're God because he's saying, me and the Father, we can't, I can't step outside because I'm one with my Father. Like, we're not two, we're one. So as the Father is, I am, as I am, the Father is. And so it says there that um, these things the Son also does in like manner. Mm. So when you go Father, Son, Spirit are one, and we're invited to walk in that oneness, you can now see why we don't do anything from our initiative. It has to be an absolute union with the triune because we're not supposed to be the fourth. We're actually supposed to be part of that three because we've, we've lost our lives. Now, we're not God, but we're Christ-like. 
So within that Godhead, our lives are hidden within the triune God. So we don't walk outside of alignment. Hence, the reward can only be given if you walk in alignment. And so you go out of alignment, in alignment, out of alignment, and hopefully throughout your life, you actually more, walk more in the likeness, the like manner of the oneness of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And this is what maturity looks like, isn't it? So, you know, like I said, 11 years ago, God comes and says to me, <clears throat> part of your mindset needs to be dismantled because you're not walking in like manner to how I walk in the way you lead the rock. Okay, and you're like, oh. <laughs> and it's an opportunity to change. Okay, always stay the same. But it's not much benefit staying the same because he's telling you you're walking out of alignment. So if I just go, oh, well, I'll get the hump, who cares? Well, how can I expect to walk out of alignment and be rewarded? Doesn't work. So God has to keep giving us opportunity to walk in absolute alignment. You can't do anything from your own initiative. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So everything has to be a work of the Spirit because that's the only work that's actually of God. See, And man just hates that if you're outcome-focused driven because you may have nothing to show for all your works. Well, what's the point of that? Love, that you would love him not on the basis of outcome for him, but just because you love him well. If you don't love him like that way, you can't relinquish that because then there's no meaning and purpose to your life. And that model of institutional model is highly successful. It's highly out there. And it's pumping and cranking, you know? And it can't actually be still and know it's God, even though it professes to, because as soon as it has the outcomes all taken away from it, it doesn't have a clue who it is, because it's based on its works and its success and its KPIs and all the things it's doing. And it records it all. And then it promotes it all. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, and, and people are getting sucked into this vacuum thing and wonder why, and hopefully after a few years wonder why this thing doesn't quite do what I read. But it's highly successful externally. And that's why we have to be so discerning because it's not the people, it's the operating system that God has an issue with. And so when God showed me that I was part of an institutional reality and I was helped build it, that's why I repented here because he showed me I was helped building an institutional model. I saw myself fall out of it and I said, was that in me? And was I in that? He said, it wasn't in you, but you were helping build it and you didn't know. He said, don't you dare judge her. That came with a warning. So what he showed me came with an extreme warning. Don't you dare self-righteously judge her. I love her, but be aware of the operating system and don't do it because I was doing it. Didn't know. And most people don't know. So they have to be shown something in the spirit for them to truly repent and find life. And unless that happens, you're going to continue doing what you've always done but you're actually void of this all-encompassing life within you. So at the end of the day, how can you be rewarded when a lot of the works that you did were of your self-effort, your self-strength using his name, and he will allow you, and you can even see some things, and because it looks successful, you do not know. And so that's why God sends us 
one another to help, you know, to try and help us see. And he asks questions and says, look, measure yourself by me. So you know that you're on this true, narrow path that only I can produce. And I think that's the challenge, isn't it? Because I was saying this to someone today, it's like, we like 50% grace, 50% us. <laughs> you know, and it's 100% grace. And we don't tend to like that until we're ready for that. You know? Like even for the guy, I mean... It's like, what's your issue? Well, I can't walk. Do you want to be made well? Well, yeah. Okay, well, take your arms, straighten out your legs. Okay, dust off. Do it. These are all things the guy could actually do. But the thing he couldn't do was actually stand up and pick up his mat. You know? And so the Lord's saying to him, do the very thing you can't do. Stand up. And, and that whole thing of totally reliant on what we cannot do, you know, or a word that Johnny spoke over the weekend, it just, it, I don't know why, it just really struck home. It's one of those moments where you're going, oh, I just want to sit right here and just let that wash through me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like, I was trying to think, I mean, ever since he said that, I'm like, well, Lord, what's, what's a good analogy and this, you know, New Zealand soil is poor in selenium. It's just not there. So you've got to add it into the soil because you need it in your diet. And you've got to add it into your food, substance, or what you're eating. So blessed is a poor in spirit because what you need, you don't have. You're totally deficit of this thing that you need. And you've now come to know that. And that's why you're poor in spirit, because you know there's no Christian virtue sitting in you at all or capacity to do this. And so you've come to that point of realising, I can lay hold of you. So now what? Well, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, where that capacity is in him. Because he'll fill that deficit space. You know, And, and this is what now lifts you up and you're able to start to walk in this the same manner, because even with Jesus, like you're saying before, you know, thousands of people probably were healed. We, you know, the ten lepers, where were they all when he was being nailed to the cross? You know, where were they standing there and going, yay, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me? So something greater was still yet to have to take place. And why I know who's saying to them, do you want to be made whole? Because he asked them, he caught them up later on and said, hmm... Don't sin. Don't fall short or something worse is going to happen. Well, what could be worse for him? 38 years crawling around on his knees. He knew what worse was. So what's worserer? <laughs> the loss of this. What's so profit of the man? He gained the whole world, but lose his soul. And I've come to make the man whole and fill that deficit within you. You know? Is that... Poverty of spirit, you know, in this deep place of humility, I think is is so much more than any physical thing. Hey, you know, I just um, I read something in in the week, and it was about you know these soldiers that go off to, to battle. And I was sharing this with our guys this, this morning. You know, um, and when soldiers go off to to battle and then they come back, a lot of them experience post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, and this is 
from a guy who's a clinical psychologist, and he said the issue that when they, when they come back, the issue is not the things that they've experienced. It's not what's been done to them. They, they get post-traumatic stress disorder because the intensity of what they've been a part of brings something out of them that they recognise the monster that's in them, and they become entirely and completely disillusioned of who they thought that they were because of something happening and coming out of them that they thought they were never capable of. And it's that realisation that floors them, and it's, it's that point, where, and to me, I was like, when I read that, I was just like, man, I feel like they're describing my life, you know? It was like, I haven't, been off the, I haven't been off the physical battle, but the way that the psychologist was saying, man, it's, it was the realisation of who, of who they thought they were that they realised that, man, I'm capable of something that I never had any comprehension of, you know? And I was like, man... I never realised that I had the, the capability of being so deeply, deeply self, um, self-loving, so entirely self-motivated, you know, and, and it was self-absorbed, it, like, that even my very Christianity was an expression of my self-centeredness, you know. And it was like, I know that it was that that floored me, that my perception of who I was all of a sudden was shattered to a zillion pieces, you know? And so it wasn't the brokenness around me, and it wasn't that horrific things had happened to me, like these guys going off to war. It was my perception of myself that shattered, and it was, and that was the best thing ever because for the first time I feel like I received love in me that wasn't based on me and something that I had done you know and it was like that, that like it, and, and that to me that that's poverty of spirit right you know it's like it's not the things around it's what happens within you know and so I feel like I can relate to these men having not gone through their physical situation but having come to that same breaking point, eh? you know? And so. what's sad is that position you're describing is some people honour that mm. and build their lives on it. 100%. So the opposite of what you're saying. So the thing that you actually are made, were made aware of, when you're not made aware of it, you're actually building your whole life on that thing. Mm. And that's this other model. You know, it actually builds it on vile things but it's unaware it's vile do you know and so you're describing you know poor in spirit and pride in spirit are completely opposite spirits but the pride in spirit doesn't recognize it's full of pride and it's building on pride but it doesn't know it and that's why it's opposed to the poor in spirit you know they both begin with p but they're very they're not even anywhere near on the same playing field. Like they're on different planets, you know. Mm. And yet the institutional model is built on pride. That's why it's so, at its root, vile. But we don't know it. And we go along with it. And we say yes to it. And we make an agreement with it. But it leaves us, if I can say this, empty. Being used. Almost abused. And actually left on the heap. Going, what was that all about? I gave 20 years to that thing and I'm left on the heap because it was built on pride, man's ego, man's ability to do what he thinks he can do. 
And that's when God says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, everything you're doing is in vain. It's all in your vain imagination, thinking it's something, but it's not. And he will allow us to do it, you know. And that's, that. my heart breaks, and that's the hardest thing that I don't know how to handle that thing, is that when I see people under that, and your heart breaks because what do you do? Mm. Like, if he's not saying, go have a conversation, what do you do? Well, you pray. And you get on your face and you cry out that people who place themselves under that, that are in that, would realize. Because while they're in that and under that and living that, they're not in him. But they think they are. And they're no different to the Jewish, Judaism, culture, the Sanhedrin, that have no understanding of the scriptures or the power of God, but think they do because they've got something tangible to show you. Look, this is the tangible fruit of my works. You know, and it's like, I hope that's going to stand up when the fire goes through it. You know, but there's an inner life that's lacking. You know, it doesn't have the fruit of what it says. And I, I, I just hurt, man. I, I have, I've wrestled with that for years, and I still don't know where to put that thing outside of just get on your face and pray, you know. Well, as as one having been on the recipient end of the sharp end of the sword of the spirit, that that it is it has power to confront. And, and you know, we shared a little while back in elders that it was some time ago. I remember I'd, I'd said something that actually revealed the true nature of pride that sat in here. And, and it was just a comment. It was an off-the-cuff comment from, from you, Greg, that was, was, it was actually a cry from the heart. Um, and, and it wasn't any specific words, but I heard the Spirit speak. And the Spirit just went, boom, into my spirit. And I knew... That was for my good, even though it feels right now like I've got a sword piercing me, <laughs> and and had to and I took I've never forgotten it because I know what it was doing. It was it was like the you know you want to enter into the promised land, you want to take the the life of the promised land that He's giving us. This one thing must happen first: the walls of Jericho pride must come down. Otherwise, you're going to try and take the promised land your way. And it's my way or Yahweh. The choice is up to you. It's got to be his way. You know, and it's something I've packed up in this reading just recently again. And again, it's like, you know, when those words just hit you and it's like, oh, okay, I've read that, but I've never read that. And it's, uh, you know, John, um, John 3.15 5, uh, 24, 17, 3. This is all about eternal life. Those who believe, those who hear my word, those who know God the Father and the Son whom he sent. This is eternal life. And the very thing that you're talking about, you know, this, this institutional model that can uh, do these things, but from my experience, from my walk, been devoid of this eternal life, the very thing I'm actually crying out for and, and doing this, this, these things for, knowing 
a God who loves me, but not knowing the source of love in me to the point where, well, what is this? Why, why that? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? 38 years. They're pretty strong track marks. I know, it's going to take a nudge to get you out of that. Do you want to be made whole? Pick up your mat and walk, come follow me. You're going somewhere you're probably not going to like so much, but it's going to bring eternal life in you. And that's a smashing and a breaking and a... You know, lately I just, I, I, my eyes are full of water. I don't know why, what that is, okay? I know I have to drink a lot more. And it's just the sense of his love and his presence. And love wrecks you. you know, I, I ache when I look around the room and, and I see people and I think, Father, how you love us all. Even when we don't know you, and don't know your love. And want for us all to come and to know love. The very one that you've now manifested this love so that we might know you. And you ache to be with your bride. But wait patiently for the objects of your wrath while you wait patiently for the objects of your mercy. And your grace is poured out and that we would become participants now having been made whole. To be able to walk together and say, hey. Let's, let's walk together for the same love. That's awesome. Any, um, any questions or thoughts before we finish up? I just got one, but I want to wait for someone else. This one, this is a scripture that's been buzzing the whole time we're speaking, and it's Matthew 11, and it's before he says, "Come to me, all you who are weary." So it's in verse 20. He says, "Then he began to denounce the cities. He began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent." And you know, it's this beautiful thing, isn't it? That the love of the Father would heal someone, but that's not enough. Uh, it can be, but it's generally not enough. Um, and that's this whole thing. And yet, you know, as you work your way down, he lists the cities, but then you go now into this. The Father has hidden this way from the wise and the intelligent. So the purpose of why God does everything is to bring you into himself. And that's when you start seeing this. You could paralyze this, or paralyze this, parallel this with John 6. You know, he feeds the 15,000. He's doing what he's doing to bring you into I'm the bread of life. So he says, come to me, all you are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, but so often we go, got my miracle, cheers, thanks. Got my job, cheers, thanks. Got this, got this, cheers, thanks. And until this word pierces the inner realm, as good as they all are, as good as all the externals, it's not enough to change the heart. That's my testimony. I'm, I am the guy that had five supernatural um, realities in God from the age of 20 to 29, but they were all outside of me. So I believe God was real because God had demonstrated he was real, but it wasn't enough. 
I was still empty on the inside, trying to do my own thing. But thankful to God that he healed, did what he did, but then living for me, you know. And this is the challenge because if, if there's not a change, that's the life you live, you know. You will just live an external life in God. And you'll do works for God, and you'll feel good about that, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. And But you do run the risk of hearing, I don't know who you are. You know, he'll say, I, I, he'll say this, what he says is, you know, it says that God knows those that love him. So it means that he knows, that his knowledge, when we stand before him, you won't be able to go, I loved you. He'll know whether you loved him or not. Um, and unfortunately, in a highly functional institutional model where function and KPIs is what's esteemed, it keeps the body of Christ running the wrong way and running the risk of actually hearing, I know you didn't love me. You know, because part of that, part of that functioning way, it never talks about who you love because it says I love God by what I do. It never addresses the other humanity you may have in your heart or the other passion or the position. It never even touches it because it's going, we love God by what we do for God, but it's very clear in God that that's not, that's not what God's looking for. you know. And that's why you could spend your entire life and see nothing happen and be wise and faithful. You know, you can, you can have your life with God spent in a closet praying and that's what you did because that's what God asked you to do and you haven't seen anyone come to the Lord, you haven't seen any miracle and God says, well done because that was the work I asked you to do. You know, John the Baptist did not do one miracle. Are you telling me he's not going to be part of the bride of Christ? Yeah, so the value is on what you do for God and yet he did heaps of things for God. He preached and we got his head lobbed off. So this is our challenge as the church, that we must know what the root system is that we're placing ourselves under. We must know the root system in us. We must know that our root system is not function and it has been replaced with fellowship because this is the simplicity and the separation of the two kinds. And so we must allow God to reroute us. Now the challenge is we're attracted to the functional model because that's of our kind. And the rerouting is like, Oh, I'm going to have to rip the roots out. Yeah, and that's why it's like, uh, I think I'd rather stay where I am. <clears throat> but you can't if you want the complete life in Christ, what you're talking about, mate. You know? And that's what Paul wants to do. He said, I'm in labor to present you complete. I want to present you as one that's never been with the world, as a virgin, spotless and blameless. You're all born in the world, and the world's in you. And so I want to get the world out of you and me into you so then you can actually know what it is to be in my son and walk in absolute oneness and like manner with the Father, Son, Spirit. And that's beautiful, man. That is, there's nothing more exquisite than that. Um, and I just share this as like, you know, like miracles are cool, but you never celebrate them to the point where you're making a song and dance about it. Like, there are miracles happening in this church. People go, well, how come miracles aren't happening? They're happening, but we don't necessarily sing them from the rooftops because you don't need to because that's actually about knowing him. 
Now, I'm not saying you wouldn't share a testimony, but it's not the thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like when you're set free of this, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That cool guy, that guy got Harry healed last week. That was so awesome. But it's gone because you're moving towards the upward call. You're going towards what you know. And that's with Jesus. Jesus never stopped and really celebrated miracles. He didn't say, by the way, I've got 10 people healed today. Um, there was this guy, this guy, this guy. Everybody see. You know, he didn't say, I've got 10 people saved today. That's not what you see. Why? Because he's going towards something greater. Now, the angels celebrate, and Jesus would be going, that's awesome. But he gives it like that much of his time, because what he's focusing on is far greater than that. And that's what we have to do. So please hear us, hear me. I'm not saying I love it. There are works to be done, all those things. But it's not the place that you hang around too long with. It's him and knowing him. Because, I mean, that's why he said to the guy, is it, you know, celebrate the fact that you're walking? Of course you would. But there's a greater reality. And so celebrate that your, your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life because I want you to have eternal life in you now. And that's a bit that I know had escaped me until he brought it. You know, man, last weekend, I, in 2005, I know where I was standing and praying and saying, where, and it was John 17. That I, didn't, I, didn't, I knew the words, I knew the verses, but I didn't know the, the street address. And, but I was standing there praying it and saying, where is this church that you say the world will know that you've come by our love for one another and that we are one. I know it's here, but where is it here? I want not to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. And that hit me over the weekend. Paul, it's here. It's here. And I'd encourage us all to be able to hear and, and cry out that we can hear what he's doing here, whether we're old or in between or young, to be able to go, no, no form of religious institution is going to actually be able to do this. It's a revelation and the power, the grace of God in me that brings me to eternal life that I can now live when I'm confronted with stuff in the office, when I'm confronted with stuff in the parking lot, when I'm confronted with stuff in my marriage, when I'm confronted with stuff in my children, when I'm confronted with stuff in the mirror, I can live. And there's a power in me that's beyond me to love. Father, what... What words can express what you've done and are doing in us? And the only thing that we can give to you, Lord, is our heart. And Father, I pray that as we, as we gather together and as we look into the scriptures to see what's written down for us that we would look into the word and hear the word speak into our very innermost being and be this bread, this manna, this, this drink, this food that is eternal life for us. And then we find, Father, having confronted and been faced with you and, 
and seen the eyes of love, that the power of love shatters all fear, all bitterness, all anxieties, and fills us with a, with a knowledge of you and a power to live our lives and in the same manner as our Lord, that we might be the very fragrance of, of God wherever we walk because love now controls our very being. So I thank you, Father, I thank you. I thank you for, for bringing us to this place. I thank you that you are so patient because it's who you are that you patiently watch over us, intercede for us, dwell within us, and pour your spirit into us and feed us. So, Father, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for each person here, each person that listens or sees online, that you're continuing to do a good work within us, perfecting love within us, that we're made to be the people that you called us to be and that we would lay hold of that which we've been laid hold for you. And we'd bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right. Have a great week, everyone.